0: good evening everybody thank you all for coming and joining us on a stormy night it's a night when we are talking about the storms that almost sank the ship that jonah was on thank you for arranging a nice storm for us tonight so we could have the background effects tonight it is a good night for us to be able to gather together and worship in this lenten service join me in our call to worship let us contemplate jesus the lord who for the joy set before Him endured the cross disregarding its grace. We worship you, O Lord. O Jesus Christ, You lived among us, healing the sick, proclaiming the good news to the poor, and freedom to the prisoners. We worship Lord. Jesus, gentle and humble of heart, full of patience and goodness, You showed forgiveness and kindness to all who are weary and heavy laden. We worship Jesus, you came into the world to serve and to give your life. You were betrayed for money, dragged before judges, and nailed to the cross. Jesus, Lord of the universe, by your resurrection from the dead, you are alive at the Father's side. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us consider him who endured such oppression from sinful people so that we may not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray together. Holy God, we come to you on this night because we want to be in your presence. We want to join with you. We want to learn from you. We want to experience your your spirit we want to experience the grace that pours itself upon our world we want to know you perhaps as we've never known you before but we certainly want to worship you and to be part of this family of faith that you have given to us as a gift we are gathered in this place tonight because you are the one who has promised to be with us you're the one who loves us And longs for our company. You're the one who wants to make your home in our hearts. Help us, O God, to make sure that we have ourselves open to your spirit. That we have ourselves open to your presence. We do not have a clean place for you to make a home. But you have promised to live within us anyway. So we thank you, O God. We thank you for drawing near to us. We thank you for loving us, even... When we seem unlovable, we thank you for loving even the people who did such terrible things to you. It was from the cross that you looked down at all of those people and you asked God to forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. I wonder sometimes if they knew what they were doing or if they didn't, but surely you knew better than I do. Remind us, O God, that you always know better than we do. Help us to put one foot in front of the other, but to make sure that we are stepping in the tracks that you are laying for us as we go along. Help us to follow you as closely as we know how, that we might learn from you, that we might experience you, and that we might know the wonder of your presence. Be with us tonight as we gather here, O God, and let your spirit fill us that we might Know more about you when we leave than we knew when we arrived, for it is in your name we offer our prayer. Amen. <clears throat> Here is scripture tonight from Jonah chapter one, verses four through sixteen. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the singers became afraid, and every man cried to his god. And they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship. He had lain down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots. So we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck. So they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. And Jonah was extremely happy. Uh, No, Jonah wasn't extremely happy. (laughs) It helps if you get the right page, doesn't it? Let's try that again. (laughs) So they cast lots, and the lots fell to Jonah. And Jonah was not extremely happy. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because Jonah had told them. And so they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. And so they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped raging. Then the men feared the Lord God greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Jonah lived happily ever after. <laughs> Somebody told me today, they said, well, I know how the story of Jonah ends. Not if Tommy's reading it. <laughs> you don't. Well, this is the second message of a series of sermons on the book of Jonah. Last week we learned that Jonah heard the word of the Lord commanding him to arise and go to the city of Nineveh. According to God, Nineveh is a wicked city, and so he calls Jonah to go and to be his instrument to call the people there to repentance. We learned, however, that Jonah didn't heed the word of the Lord. Instead, he was disobedient. He went down to Joppa to book passage on the ship to Tarshish in order to flee from the presence of the Lord, flee from the face of the the Lord, as the Hebrew says. And now, in today's scripture, Jonah is on his way to this exotic place, this land of adventure, Shangri La, Tarshish, and he finds himself in stormy weather. What do you do when there's a violent storm? Well, Tommy shared with us this past Sunday about uh, a dog that named Bam Bam that they had uh, growing up who was frightened uh, of storms. Uh, got to thinking about that. And for many years, Lou Ann and I knew when bad weather was approaching, not because we were watching the Weather Channel, but because we had our own weather forecaster, our dog Abby would cue us in on it. She was always the first to sense that there was a storm coming, and she would begin to tremble and to shake, and sure enough, within minutes, we would begin to hear the rumble of a storm in the distance. Abby would abandon her pillow, and she would find a place at my feet between the sofa and the coffee table where she felt safe. But sometimes when a storm would come during the night, Abby would go upstairs and We would find her underneath the bed. There were times when I came home at the height of a storm and discovered her lying in the bathroom with her face pushed up against the the wall. Well, storms can be terrifying, and not just to animals, to human beings as well. When I was a senior in high school, 1975 is on Good Friday, I was caught in the path of a killer tornado, And for years afterwards, I was squeamish when I heard that weather conditions were ripe for a twister. And even today, I still listen closely when it thunders or I can hear a train in the distance. And it reminds me of that day in 1975 and knowing how a violent and destructive a storm can be. So in our scripture lesson for today, a storm is brewing But Jonah appears to be oblivious to it. He obviously had not been watching the weather channel or paying attention to what was going on outside. This storm is so bad that the writer says the the ship is breaking up and the sailors have become terrified. They're beginning to throw their cargo overboard and they are feverishly praying to whatever God might listen to them in the midst of their predicament. And where is Jonah? Jonah has gone down below into the hold of the ship, and he has fallen sound asleep. He's counting sheep. He's sawing logs. Well, the irony of the situation is abundantly evident. The heathen, the pagans, are responding to this crisis like any good Israelite would do. They're praying and offering sacrifices. In the meantime, Jonah, the Israelite, the Hebrew prophet, the one who's called by God, he is fast asleep. And now this is not just any sleep. The Hebrew word there, tardamah, indicates it is a deep sleep. Not the sleep of one who is fearful or one whose conscience is disturbed by the circumstances. There's no tossing and turning here. Jonah is out of it. Jonah is comfortable. Perhaps he's taken some Ambien or some melatonin. I don't know. But he is most certainly unaware at this point that the storm brewing outside is a direct result of the decision that he has made to disobey God. And as a result, he has endangered the lives of others by fleeing from the presence of the Lord, but you wouldn't know it, by Jonah. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm, and there lies Jonah in the belly of a ship. Martin Luther once wrote, there he lies and snores in his sin. It's the captain of the ship who has to wake Jonah up and to plead with him to pray. A pagan, mind you, has to remind a prophet of God of his religious responsibilities The captain must realize that the difference between life and death is in the response to a power greater than he and his men, even creation itself. And so he pleads with Jonah to to get up and and to pray. He says, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up. Call upon your God. Perhaps he will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And Jonah's response is deafening. He is silent. He could just as well have stayed asleep. I got to thinking about this captain pleading with Jonah. I remembered a passage from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Paul is writing to the Ephesians about how they formerly walked in darkness and how they were now the light. Of the Lord, and they were to walk as children of light, and they were not to participate in in deeds of darkness, but instead they were to expose them. And he says, Paul says, All things become visible when they're exposed by the light, for everything becomes visible in the light. And then he says a very curious thing here. He says, For this reason, it says, he doesn't say what it is, but he said, It says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What is it? Well, Paul doesn't say. It doesn't appear to be a direct quote from Scripture. But I'm wondering if Paul, who is familiar with the Hebrew Scripture, is not thinking and writing about these captains' words to Jonah. How is it that you are sleeping? Get up. Wake up. Call upon your God, perhaps he will be concerned about us, perhaps he will shine his light upon us and we will not perish. You know, when the Bible talks about those who sleep and are still physically alive, the connotation is that their righteousness, which is received through faith, is not visibly evident. Therefore, the person appears to be no different than one who is unrighteous. That is, the believer and the unbeliever are sometimes indistinguishable because the believer is living a lifestyle that is no different from an unbeliever. The believer is sleeping. The sleeping Christian is someone who consciously lives in darkness where the light does not shine. And their testimony is compromised And this is what Paul is driving at with these Ephesian believers. He exhorts them to not be sleeping, not be participating in the deeds of darkness, but to wake up, arise and shine. Christ will shine on you. And this is the message of the Lenten season to all of us. We are to wake up. Wake up. Well, the... The sailors, they're convinced, as was common in that day, that the storm was a direct reaction of a god to some evil deed committed by someone on board the ship. Thus they try to find out who the culprit is. Perhaps he could fill them in on his religious beliefs to such an extent that they could find a way to appease their god and to stop this storm. And so they begin to cast lots. It was believed that God would determine the way the lot would fall, The decision would thus be a divine one in the final analysis. And lo and behold, the lot falls to Jonah. And as a consequence, Jonah is bombarded with questions. On whose account has this calamity struck? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Jonah then informs them that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord well, the sailors, they become extremely frightened. Interestingly, the sailors, these pagans, they cannot quite imagine anyone treating their God in such a ragged fashion. They couldn't imagine themselves doing such a thing. They seem to have more respect for Jonah's God than he does. And now with the storm getting worse, the sailors press Jonah for a solution. And Jonah knows there's only two things left for him to do. He could repent, but amazingly, he steadfastly refuses to do it. He remains obstinate, even in the face of God's judgment upon him and the peril that he has placed the sailors and other passengers in. And finally, just as the sailors hurled their cargo into the sea as a sacrifice to appease their God... Jonah offers himself to be thrown overboard as a sacrifice. And why does he agree to this? Well, we don't know for sure. Perhaps it's his last ditch attempt on his part to flee the presence of the Lord, even if it means death. Perhaps Jonah is moved by the plight of the sailors and will not allow an innocent to suffer because of his misdeeds. But more likely, Jonah agrees to be thrown overboard in order to take upon himself what he knows that he deserves. Even though he is unwilling to repent, he knows deep down he deserves God's wrath. Well, we do know the end of the story, don't we? The sailors throw Jonah off the ship. The storm stopped immediately. The men offered a sacrifice to God. And Jonah, as we will learn next week, is delivered by God. He is more than just with Jonah. He doesn't return evil for evil, he responds in mercy. But this evening, this evening, I want us to think about the events that have transpired as a result of Jonah's fleeing from the Lord. In particular, I want us to reflect upon the context of this story a violent storm. Jonah and the sailors are in a storm. And for Jonah, it's the storm of his own making. For the sailors, it's a storm which they had nothing to do with. Have you ever been in a storm? Sure, we all have at one time or another. We're all subject to storms, prophets and people, sailors and saints. No one's exempt. You may be in the midst of a storm right now. Some storms are of our own making. Others we inherit or we fall into by circumstance. But regardless of their origin, storms can be all-encompassing and they can be- become completely unmanageable. They can whip us around like rag dolls. They can paralyze us. The the waves and the breakers of the storm can just plain beat us up and bloody us. For Jonah, once the storm hits, he's out of control. Before the storm, he had some semblance of control, or so he thought he did. He had decided his own destination. He had paid a considerable sum of money to go to Tarshish. The cost of that voyage as far as the Straits of Gibraltar would have been no small matter. But Jonah is presented to us as a man able to finance his own self-will and his own self-determination. Jonah was going to be in charge, no mistake about it. But in the midst of a storm, Jonah's financial wherewithal is insignificant. The storm dominates the scene And in the midst of the storm, Jonah's will and his money are trifling. So here's what I'm getting at this evening. Trouble, at least extreme trouble, storm trouble, strips us to the bare essentials and reveals the basic reality of our lives. Now, all of us have experienced trouble to some degree. Some more than others. If you haven't experienced troubles, you're not human. To be human is to experience storms, to experience troubles. Even Jesus experienced storms in his life. And the good news is that while the storm is the immediate context, it's also the context in which God is at work. And we have a choice it's a choice between life or death. It's either to lose our lives or to be saved. It's salvation or not. We all have a choice. So what are we to do when the storms come? If the storm sets the condition and God is present in it, the essential action is prayer. In the Jonah story, the sailors pray, each crying to his own God, and then they pray to Jonah's God. And the result is that they're saved. The the captain asked Jonah to pray to his God, but Jonah doesn't do it. Jonah will pray later, as we will find out. But for the time being, he refuses to pray. And as a consequence, he's thrown overboard into a raging sea. And God will deal with him later. If there's anything to learn from this account, it's this. Storms may expose us to chaos, to those things which we cannot manage, but they also expose us to the brooding, hovering spirit of God himself. In the storms of our lives, we are reduced to what is elemental, and the ultimate elemental is God. And the primary act that has to do with God is prayer. In fact, prayer is the one act in which we must engage as willing, conscious, fully aware participants if we're to realize the salvation of God. Prayer is the human response to the Word of God, the Word that creates us, the Word that saves us. You know, there's two Jesus stories that consist of a sea storm in the Gospel of Mark. In the first one, Jesus, like Jonah, is asleep When the storm rises and he has to be awakened to still the storm. Unlike Jonah, Jesus prays and he stills the storm. And in the second story, Jesus comes from a place of prayer and he calms his frightened friends. He tells his disciples to fear not. Jesus used these violent, out of control storms to demonstrate to his disciples that to embrace a life of prayer is to embrace the power of God in their lives. Isaac Singer, Singer sewing machines, think that. He once wrote Whenever I'm in trouble, I pray. And since I'm always in trouble, I pray a lot. What do you do when you're experiencing a storm in your life? Are you sleeping in the storm? While the storm is raging, do you, like Jonah, just go and try to find a nice, comfortable place to fall asleep in the hold of the ship, marvelously oblivious to the trouble that surrounds you, or... Do you, like Jesus, embrace the God-called work of prayer that creates and saves and confirms us? How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Wake up, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you to be continued. Okay, Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this time that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come and to be in this place of worship. Lord, even though the storms rage against us, God, and we go through our days with divided hearts and stubborn attitudes, Lord, I pray that we would yield ourselves to you tonight, Lord. Lord, may your spirit reignite your fire within us, God. Lord, may it lead us back into the place of intimacy of your presence. And Lord, may we receive your grace. May we receive your forgiveness and your love. And Lord, may we walk from here reignited with love and passion for you and for the world around us. And ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.